2: The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, well, this is a very short... Sure. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please. No, no, that's all. As we await for the records from the National Archives, are you absolutely certain? Are you absolutely positive there is no record of any complaint by Tara Reid against you? I'm absolutely positive that no one that I'm aware of ever has been made aware of any complaint, a formal complaint made by or a complaint by Tara Reid against me at the time this allegedly happened 27 years ago or until the, I announced for, well, it was, I guess it was in April or May of this year.
0: So that's from Joe Biden this morning. Now, he did it at some point. He opened with he unequivocally stated that this never happened. He never uh, 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 raped or whatever you want to call it. This woman, Tara Reid. Uh I said to Sean, though, we might as well play the embarrassing Biden clip. And Sean said, <laughs> Sean said, you're going to have to be more specific. <laughs> but um, uh, I picked out the one where he sounded the worst. But mostly it was fine. It was Joe Biden saying, no, I never did this. Uh, I didn't do anything like this. I've never done anything like this. There's no complaint. Blah, blah, blah. And we're thinking it's over.
2: Lon Hee J. Chen is the David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University, and joins us now. Lon
1: Hee, how are you, sir? I am fine. How are you, gentlemen?
2: We're, we're great. Uh, you know, all things considered. So do you think the uh, Joe Biden uh, sexual assault thing is more or less uh, over?
1: Um, I, You know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and I say I don't know because... The the Democratic Party and where it is now uh, is very different than where the Democratic Party was when Joe Biden spent most of his time in politics. And what I mean by that is the the elements of the far left that have essentially occupied the party. And we saw this during during the presidential primary, uh, I I think are going to continue to push Biden. They're going to continue to push him on this. And while under ordinary circumstances, an interview like that would have would have kind of lanced the boil. I'm just not so sure that folks are going to be willing to let go of this uh, at at this point. And this is just one of those issues that's really hard. I mean, how do you square what he said? with the, the way that he treated, for example, Brett Kavanaugh during during the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. I think I think these are questions that are going to continue, and I'm just not sure that that interview today did it far.
0: Well, I get those as questions from the right, because I do still have those questions. The way you wanted to change college campuses, the way you went after Kavanaugh, I need more explanation for how that squares with this. But in terms of the left, what would the left push him to do? I mean, what else can he do?
1: well I, I I think you know you saw this with the Washington Post editorial board saying he, he ought to release his papers, make make them completely open the ones that are that are that are held at the University of Delaware. Um, I think more questions will arise. There's some dispute, for example, over whether, in fact, the National Archives is the place where a complaint from his Senate uh, time would be would be held. I think that's that's a question.
0: yeah, he I said no personnel no... stuff would be in those archives that people are demanding opening, so there's just no point.
1: Yeah, but, but you know, I think that's not going to be satisfactory to some, you know, particularly – and here's where the thing on the left comes to play because I think on the left, you know, there there, there are some who are agitating and saying, look, you know, is there more there? We cannot have a, a nominee of our party who – the nominee of the Democratic Party, that is – who, who is tainted by this kind of thing, and, and they want to know more. Now, that may just be a, a way of them trying to, to get Biden out, which is highly, highly uh, probable now. But my uh, point is simply that I just think that, that the agitation among some quarters of the left is going to continue to dog his campaign.
2: So, yeah, I'm reminded of the quote from Orwell that we more or less started the show with this morning, in which he's talking in 1984 about the the reason you acquire power is for power. Power is the goal. And if the AOC crowd can get rid of the last vestige of the old moderate Democrat crowd, they don't care if they lose to Trump in the doing of that in the same way that like your dispatch anti-Trump Republicans, they're more than willing to lose to Biden to get rid of Trump. So anyway, oh hey, speaking yeah. of the election and, and parties and the rest of it, as a libertarian-leaning fellow, I was fairly excited to see Justin Amash, a non-crackpot mostly, uh, get into the race. What do we know about him? What do you think of the dynamics of that? If if indeed he does, and I think he will.
1: Yeah, you know, I, this is a tough one. I, I've kind of heard it argued both ways that his presence hurts Biden and his presence hurts Trump. I, I've kind of heard it both ways. I mean. Look, I think our political system is better off when we have people who fill parts of of lanes or parts of of people's political interests that wouldn't be filled otherwise. And I I do think that there are a number of people who are concerned on the right about how the Republican Party seems increasingly comfortable embracing big government, how it's increasingly comfortable uh, embracing lots of spending, how it's increasingly comfortable embracing the, the role of the nanny state. In, in policing people's lives, and I Amen. think Justin Amash presents an alternative to them. Now, for the left, yeah. Know, so you you just the
0: explained the the part to me that makes the most sense. So that damages right. a Republican candidate because he's it small government. Trump. But I I have heard also the arguments that it hurts Biden more. Please explain that to me. I don't get it at all.
1: Well, I think I think that, that the notion there is that you've got this this uh, this this sort of group of voters who. Are, are they're just uncomfortable with Biden for whatever reason, but they can't vote for Trump because they really don't like Trump. So they need to put their vote somewhere else. So they're going to put it with Justin Amash, that basically he's a placeholder for whatever it is they don't like about, about, uh, uh, about Joe Biden and they don't like about Donald Trump. I, I don't think that's a very big percentage of people to, to sort of betray my, my, my true feeling on this. I don't think there's a ton of people who would vote that way. But the idea, again, is just do you have an alternative to vote for who's not, you know, you just you, you really don't like Joe Biden for whatever reason. And you can't bring yourself to vote for Trump. Well, then you vote for someone like Amash, who, who has been you know principled on on a number of different things. Uh, and so, you know, that's where you, that's where you put your vote.
2: Hey, Jack, do you mind if we do a minute? I know we've been talking about this a lot, but it's always great to talk to Lon Hee Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, and get your point of view, Lon Hee. Let's talk a little bit about civil liberties and the COVID response. What's your take on what's happening these days?
1: Well, people are understandably uh, uncomfortable with the idea, for example, of tech companies like, you know, Apple and Facebook having more control over Personal data that could be used at some point down the road for, for for the gain of those companies. It'd be one thing if you said, "Look, we're going to use the data to geolocate people to, to ensure we're not spreading coronavirus." That's one thing, but I think people are are nervous because the tech companies in particular have been shown to not be trustworthy.
2: Well, what about and, and, the uh, so, in the limited time we have? And I'm sorry to interrupt, but what about the mass closures of so many businesses? and the rationale going from flattening the curve to just eliminating cases if we can. Yeah, just
0: right. last night well, you had uh, Southern California saying, no, we make our own decisions in our county, not the governor.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be clear, the, the the goalposts keep shifting on this. The reason why we were sheltering in place to flatten the curve was precisely because we didn't want to overburden our health care system. It's clear our health care system is not going to be overburdened. So now that we've achieved that goal, we we do need to responsibly reopen the economy. We we cannot be out there. I've heard people argue, well, what we need to do is we need to save every life possible. That That is not the goal of public policy in this case. It should not be the goal because it's unachievable fundamentally. We, we, we have to realize that, by the way, there's a ton of other problems with closing the economy and keeping it closed. People's livelihoods, people's health, that's affected too.
2: Yeah, that's the point we've been trying to make. And it was f- funny, strange. I read this... L- Allegedly, great piece in Politico in which the guy did not even acknowledge that a crushed economy will cost lives, maybe half as many lives as the covid, maybe as many, maybe three times as many. So we're not trading lives for money. We're trading lives for money and lives.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's one thing, by the way, these epidemiological models, they never account for. Sure. They, they don't account for the fact that people are sheltering in place, which means rates of obesity and rates of other diseases are going to rise, that elective procedures have been canceled, which means cancer diagnoses have been missed. There's all sorts of things, and I'm not saying that, that the number of those people overwhelms the number of people who would have died from coronavirus, but you got to you got to consider all of that. And public policy has to be balanced. It can't be out of balance, and I, I fear that right now there's a little bit of out of balance in some states, California especially.
0: Well, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. I hope uh, you and yours are healthy.
1: We are. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Lonnie.
0: Um, I heard a, another explanation of why they uh, some people think that Amash getting into the race as a libertarian hurts Biden more than Trump. I could get into that if you get next hour.
2: If you don't, grab it at armstrongandgetty.com uh, via podcast. If you're like, yeah, I'm kind of mystified by that theory, too, so I'd like to hear it. There's another
0: hour of this show? Yep. Oh. Some people get it. Very excited.
2: Armstrong and Getty. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh?
1: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck
2: yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah,
2: ski slopes. Let's
0: do
1: it. Um, ten a girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait.
2: Did we just
0: invent California?
1: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile